In a small town like Centerville, Texas, word travels fast. Less than a thousand people call the seat of Leon County home. Most of its visitors are just passing through on Interstate 45 between Dallas and Houston. It's where Melanie Tieperman and her family call home. They raise goats, they hunt, and they know their neighbors. Last May, Melanie was driving with her son when she passed by a broken down Texas Department of Criminal Justice transport bus. TDCJ buses are a common sight in Centerville, just 45 minutes north of the state's maximum security Estelle unit, which also houses medical services. But a wrecked bus is far from normal. When Melanie saw a man in a white jumpsuit running from the wreck, she made sure it was caught on tape. That video became the first and only footage KBTX received of escaped inmate Gonzalo Lopez. Yo, we saw the inmate. Oh my God. What the heck? He's hiding. Lopez was a convicted killer, serving back-to-back life sentences for a cartel hit and opening fire at a sheriff's deputy. It wasn't his first escape, and he had nothing to lose. A $15,000 reward is being offered for information leading to the convicted killer's capture. He's now been on the run for nearly 30 hours. He's considered to be very dangerous. Officials say they think he's still somewhere near Centerville. The search for Lopez lasted three weeks. It ended June 2nd when Gonzalo Lopez killed a 66-year-old grandfather and his four grandsons next door to Melanie's home, then fled south in their truck. He was stopped near San Antonio, where he was killed in a shootout. The entire Centerville community watched as law enforcement took over their town with search dogs, horses, TDCJ staff, and helicopters. But Lopez was able to break through the perimeter after killing five members of the Collins family and leading law enforcement on a chase in San Antonio before being killed in a shootout. During those three long weeks, Melanie talked to her family about safe words, preparing for the worst. She grew frustrated with silent officials searching in her backyard. And in the end, she relayed the devastating news of the five murders to some members of the Collins family. Today, Melanie remains frustrated after promises from the state's highest offices and public reports of TDCJ's failure. She says too many questions are still unanswered. I'm Carla Castillo, and this is Reckless, the Gonzalo Lopez Escape. Can you take us back to that day in May? You were traveling with your son when you saw the TDCJ bus. Yes, we were on our way home. We have a, um, a little private homeschool pod that we go to Monday through Thursday. So we let out at two o'clock. We were headed home on Highway 7, just leaving Centerville. And I would say a few miles out of town is when I come over the top of the hill. Saw a bus on the side of the road, on my side of the road, and a police car with his lights on sitting in the middle of the road. I I remember seeing a white suit run off into a pasture to the right. When I first saw the bus, first saw the police officers, oh, they had a flat or something like that. As I saw a man in white running, I immediately shift gears to, oh my gosh, I believe this is really happening. There's a prisoner escaping the prison bus. He's in the woods. All the prison buses are white. 
We see him quite often, so I knew that it was a prison bus. He kind of disappeared behind the trees and the officer was still sitting in his car. I told my son in the back seat, I said, Braxton, this is really happening. There's somebody escaping from this bus. I said, get your phone out and start recording. And that's when um, Gazala Lopez came into a clearing in that field and he was able to record him running through um, the field back into the woods. He saw everything, what the? Tell me what you were feeling at this point as this is developing really quickly. I have a, I'm a concealed handgun carrier, but I also have a a Glock in my truck that's right next to me. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, if any more prisoners come out of the bus or if this escapee turns around and starts coming towards the truck, I need to be ready to use my handgun to, you know, defend us. The officer was still in his car until Gonzalo Lopez kind of went off into the woods. And at that point, he gets out and he's just standing by his car. He did not start approaching the bus until I finally decided to drive around and start heading home. I felt like I needed to get home as soon as possible because we live very close to that area. And I was very concerned about a prisoner getting to my home. So not only is this a scary thing that's unfolding in front of you, this could be something that is leading quite literally into your backyard. Yes. You've got your son in the car with you. As a mom, I can only imagine the protective instincts that kick in. Yes. I kept rolling the window up and down because I wanted him to be able to record him clearly. But I was very, very nervous that another inmate might come out and try to approach us. Because at this point, you have no idea if he's working alone, if everyone else is going to jump in. Well, I was very concerned about the prison guards because I didn't see any of them outside the bus. Another thought that went through my head was, oh, my gosh, did he kill them? In my son's video, you can even hear me comment. I wonder what happened to the other guys. And that's who I'm talking about are the prison guards that I knew should be on the bus. I wonder if. I wonder if the guy's okay. What guy? The, um... And where were they? Why were they not out pursuing this inmate? Or why were they not coming out of the bus to secure the bus? You know, as I drove around the officer, I hollered at the officer, you know, pointed in the direction that I saw him run into the woods. He's in the woods. When I drove by that bus, all of the inmates were yelling really, really loud. As that Jewett police officer that was there on the scene, he was finally out of his car and started to kind of walk towards the bus. And the closer he kind of started making the steps towards the bus, the louder it seemed like they got. It didn't seem like they were yelling out of fear. It seemed more like angry. And so you talked about recording the video and then making sure you got home quickly because he was running toward your neighborhood, essentially. Tell me on the journey after that, what are the next steps after you recorded that video? So we get home 
And the first thing I did with my son was to tell him that we needed to make an emergency plan. And I told him that he's supposed to keep his cell phone on him on silent at all times in his pocket. I showed him a place to hide in in our home and to cover up, to dial 911 and sit quietly. Do not move. Do not come looking for me. If you hear anyone else in the house, even if you hear someone say that they are going to kill me, do not come out. Do not come out. And it seems so surreal to know that that really could have taken place because those events actually happened here. What's scary, too, again, as a mom You have to explain it, I imagine, as very matter of fact. You can't show any sort of fear. It has to be very, this is what we do. This is how we do it. But I imagine on the inside, it's probably hurting you that you have to explain this to your son. Oh, yeah. he. um, That's hard for your kid to hear and to understand. He got upset. He started crying. He was 11. I told him, I said, baby, I'm not trying to scare you, but this is what could really happen. And I need you to be brave. And I need you to understand clearly all the instructions I'm telling you and be prepared for something like that. The escape was just the very beginning of this nightmare. What was it like being in Centerville during that three-week search? The bad thing is, is living out in the country, I have a goat farm. I have animals that I have to feed every day. I could not stay locked in my home as if I live in the city and have my groceries delivered to me. Or, or any of those things. You know, we had to be out of our homes and taking care of things. And I'm not the only one. There's tons of ranches and farmers and people that have to be out taking care of things on a daily basis. We could not just stay locked down in our homes. Even though I'm a concealed handgun carrier, I don't carry when I'm out feeding goats. I had to continuously look over my shoulder and be aware of all of my surroundings constantly to see a helicopter the very next day in your backyard flying over the top of your house with a guy holding an assault rifle, hanging out, looking, scanning your backwoods, your backyard for this dangerous man. Um, I can't describe it. It's a terrible way to have to live in fear like that and not knowing. After they had broaden the search all over Texas. And a lot of us here just kind of felt like, oh, he's probably not in our area anymore because, you know, they removed the human barrier that surrounded the radius of the search. And every now and then you'd see a TDCJ car going up and down the road, but you didn't hardly see him at all anymore. All of us really kind of believed he was not here. So we just kind of started going back to our daily lives. How did it change your day-to-day while that search continued? During the active search that first week, we just kind of stayed alert, you know, with our our guns next to us, phones on us at all times, no matter where we were. We still were on alert, but not nearly like we were during the first week. That sounds exhausting mentally and physically. My anxiety was out the roof. I remember breaking down on that Friday when they had told us, I got a call from a law enforcement friend that was working on the search and said, Melanie, are you home? And I said, no. I said, I went to lunch with Robert and he said, well, he's been spotted on an oil pad behind your house. And 
I said, well, you better go to my house and check. I said, because we have loaded guns everywhere. He would be highly armed if he actually got in our home. We have surveillance cameras in our home. But to be able to watch them walk through my house and search room to room for this man, that was the point that I just broke down. I was like, you feel like you're not safe. Your home's not safe. And I imagine at this point, you're also thinking about this man who clearly has no concern for anybody's life and is probably desperate at this point. Yeah. But, you know, I know they gave us a warning, but I really honestly never really fully comprehended what he was capable of. You know, it's bad enough to take lives, but children's lives without hesitation, you know, I don't think I quite realized what he was capable of. And the younger boys who were killed by, and I think we can all agree, he was a monster. Are your son's age? Did that strike you even harder just because they could be your son? Absolutely. You know, it affected him too. The fact that he wasn't just told that there was a dangerous man out there. He saw with his own eyes and knew that man was out there. Does he have a gun? What, Ben? He ran towards the house. You think? Yeah, somewhere near that house. So whoever's in that house might want to be careful. He had trouble sleeping. Um, he really, really had high anxiety after the murders and he broke down crying. You know, he went with me to the Collins home the day after. And um, we put something as a memorial. We started a memorial at their entrance at their gate at their home. And I'm sorry. You know, it's really hard because I drive that route back and forth between my house and town you know, sometimes three and four times a day. And I passed by that home in that entrance where a lot of people in the community and people that know them have left things for them. You see it that many times. You can't avoid it. You know, I see the crash site. You can still see marks on the road for a long time. You know, where that bus crashed, you can see actually where the bus ran through the dirt. You, you do kind of relive it almost every day. You're reminded of it every day. So, of course, for the rest of us who don't live in Centerville, we watched from afar and everyone from online to even in town has their theories about what happened. What was the overall sentiment from Centerville residents about the handling of this search? Um, I think everyone is frustrated with TDCJ for allowing the situation to even happen for their lack of responsibility. They gave him the opportunity in so many ways, especially after reading that report, they failed to do their job. And I think majority of the citizens are very upset with the fact that if they'd have just done one, maybe one of those things, you know, one of the searches, many searches he should have had, all of this could have been prevented there's so many things that happen that it's just unbelievable how you could overlook so many things. You know, I know for a fact, and it's even stated in the report that they were finding evidence here locally a day or two before the Collins were murdered, that evidence that he was here from video surveillance cameras at people's home to 
him stealing things out of a home and the break-in, it would have helped us all to have that heads up. They only did briefings till May 20th, and the murders happened on June 2nd. That's a lot of time of silence, of no information given to us. You know, why couldn't they at least have done a reverse 911 notice to at least the local residents here, giving us a heads up that we're finding evidence, we're checking the DNA to confirm this, but y'all need to go back on lockdown. You guys need to be aware that it is the possibility he is still right here among us, not just somewhere in the state of Texas. You mentioned the report. Were you able to either click on it or or pick it up and read it as soon as you wanted to, or did it take a moment to kind of breathe and then proceed to see what information you would find? I couldn't read it fast enough. You know, there was several days where there was like nothing in that report. No, nothing. No, no statements of a search was made here or there or what. I feel like there's so much left out of that report. And and I wonder, you know, who is overseeing TDCJ to make sure that policies are going to be followed. You can say you're going to make changes all day long, but if you're not going to follow the procedures you had in the first place, then what good is it to make new procedures? Do you get the impression it's a lack of answers because they aren't sharing, they have the information and they're not sharing, or they don't have it and maybe they haven't thought to ask those questions? I don't know. I had a lot of questions from the very beginning because I turned the video over to them the very day that I took the video. And Mr. Hurst, who was doing the TDCJ briefings, when the media would ask him about the video, they denied that they even had it. They didn't know who I was. They didn't know anything about a video. And I was shocked. I was shocked, one, that I felt like, are they trying to hide something? Why would they lie to everyone and say that they did not have the video? There were more witnesses even other than me. And you would think when something happens like this, you're going to want to interview anybody and everybody who witnessed anything. So I guess I question whether TDCJ is being honest with all of this. From the very first day, they, they lied to the public and said they didn't even have a video. Melanie, I was told you may have been in contact with the family's members of the five people who were murdered. What was that like? What was that interaction like? It was really hard because one of the brothers to the dad who lost his sons, we wanted to check on them. And when we talked to him, he broke down because at that point, we evidently had found out about the murders before all of the family members had even been notified. It was terrible. You know, I hate that we were the ones that broke the news to this brother and I don't know, I can't imagine being in their shoes and and hearing that kind of news. It's heartbreaking. I hope that the Collins family gets some kind of justice. You know, I've heard about the lawsuits. I know it's never gonna bring their family back. I just hope that them doing that will be a part of the change that really needs to happen within our prison system to make sure this never happens again. You know, those buses still continue to come through here. It's something I pray to God never happens again. You know, 
is so preventable. On the next episode of Reckless, the Gonzalo Lopez escape, we dive into what's next. How does the state hold its prison system accountable for failures that killed five? Last night, we brought you a review detailing the failures in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice leading up to Gonzalo Lopez's escape that ultimately ended with a family of five murdered in Centerville. Tonight, documents from a TDCJ serious incident review show confusion at the search site as well as failures by the canines used on scene. News 3's Morgan Rydell has the details. Criminal justice expert Mitchell Roth joins me to dive deeper into the state's reports and their plans to keep this from happening again. On the next episode of Reckless, the Gonzalo Lopez escape, 